Hey everyone, welcome to this week's episode of Review Crew. This is episode number 35, and I'll be your host today, Kevin Gossett, the LA Reviews Editor for No Presidium. We also have... Hello, this is Catherine Yu, Executive Editor of No Presidium. Hi there, this is Blake Weil, East Coast Curator for No Presidium. If, if we seem a bit loopy, we've been trying to uh, get this recording going for a little bit, and we've been having some, some technical problems, so um, that's, that's what we're, we're going through right now. Before we jump in proper, we're going to go through some some news for uh, No Pro for the next month or so. So there's a cool new page on the site that lists all the events for March. We're trying to do um, some fun stuff for the community. So first up is the book club, which will meet on March 15th. Should be reading Snow Crash by now. Um, we'll have a discussion at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern on March 15th. Next up, we have the uh, just announced seminar that Noah is putting on. It's DIY Publicity 101 for Immersive Creators. So on March 21st, Noah will offer up his expertise as a journalist on the basics of publicity and public relations for immersive events to help you pitch your events and get them covered. So this should be this should be fun. It should really pull on um, Noah's Noah's time in the, the journalism space. And um, so this will be two different Zoom sessions. It'll be limited to 10 people. Um, on March 21st, one, we at 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern, and then a second session will be at 7 p.m. Pacific, 10 p.m. Eastern, and tickets for that will go on sale on March 4th. We're going to keep rolling. We got two more things to cover. So then the next one is an AMA with Tara O'Conn. Um, Tara is a longtime collaborator with Third Rail Projects, whose own career has led her from dance to design to acting, all with a focus on the art of connection. So Tara will answer all of your questions on March 24th, and the queue for those questions will open on March 21st on the NoPro Discord, which you can find in the notes for this show. The last thing is that we talked about last week. Um, we're working on planning a community forum to explore how creators can best set audience expectations, present clear content advisories, and market their work while maintaining the mystique. Um, this will be taking place on the NoPro Discord, just like our other events at some point. At, we're working on a date for that, so stay tuned, but we'll let you know on the site, social, and all of our podcasts. So that's the news for this week. And now we're going to jump into the show proper. And we're going to talk about something a little different that's kind of immersive adjacent. And that is Netflix's Murderville. Um, this show premiered last month and was based off the BBC show Murder and Successville. Um, and you might be asking again, why are you talking about television show? That's because there's a lot in common with um, immersive theater. So we'll get into that in a little bit. But um, if you're not familiar with the show, and hopefully you are because we will get into spoilers soon, each episode features a new celebrity who joins the cast and is thrust into a mystery that they have to solve with the guidance from Will Arnett's character, Terry Seattle. He's a detective, and he kind of ends up uh, in some, some weird situations during the show. Crucially, the celebrities are not given a script, and they have to improvise their way through a number of scenarios before they have a chance to solve the mystery. And they can fail to solve the mystery. A number of the celebrities actually do not... Uh, finger the right suspect by the end of the show. The other actors on the show do have a script and they force the guests into playing out these sequences while giving them some leeway to kind of figure out how to get through it. And that's kind of where I think we we realize there's some like immersive DNA here and how people have to figure out their way through this kind of performance while everyone else around them might know what's going on and they are trying to figure it out. Uh, so again, the entire season is available for viewing on Netflix right now and there will be spoilers. I'm going to toss it to Blake and Catherine to kick off because I've been talking for too long. 
I feel like we need a sound effect, like a spoiler horn, like, <laughs> ew, like after this point, there will be spoilers. <laughs> I think just just cut that for future podcasts. And <laughs> okay, cool. <laughs> will Arnett kills Dumbledore. Oh, shit. Stop. <laughs> so one thing that really struck me is just how similar all the episodes are. So Will Arnett, a.k.a. Terry Seattle, always gets a brand new partner, someone in training, at the start of each episode. And then they go about their business uh, visiting the crime scene, potentially talking to the coroner. They are always interrogating three different suspects who have potential motives to have committed the crime. And there's always some sort of undercover sting operation. And each episode always ends with some sort of public accusation where the detective in training has to say who they think the murderer was and give a reason or rationale why. And then I think it's the chief of police comes in and, you know, there's the the kind of very typical reality television dramatic reveal of you were a hundred percent and then like a long silence, correct or incorrect. And then they they reveal who the actual murderer was. So I'm wondering, like, uh, from your perspectives, do you think this formula works for or against the show? And does it feel contrived? Because to me, um, it really feels a lot like the kind of murder mystery thing that you can do where you get that package uh, online or in the mail. And then it's like, oh, the murderer always dies between, you know, uh, the murder is always committed between act one and act two kind of thing. So, yeah. What is the formula? Like, does that work for you? So, I am going to be a total cliche and evangelize for my other favorite Netflix reality murder mystery property, Busted, and say, it doesn't really work for me. I think part of what drew me to some of the, like, broader mystery fun of Busted is the bigger opportunities for role play in there when you have a variety of scenarios and structures and the players don't necessarily know exactly what beats they're going to hit and so while i think this is immersive theater adjacent certainly i think that formula kind of kills some of the immersive theater vibes for me yeah i think for me it it worked a little bit better than blake but i think it is it it is pretty formulaic, and I think maybe kind of as you're, you're referencing the box mystery sets, it does fall into that where it's kind of like, here it is, you kind of know what you're getting, and it's going to be this, and then it's going to be this, and it's going to be that. But like, depending on the person, and we should we should know now, there were six different celebrities, and they were uh, Conan O'Brien, Marshawn Lynch, Camille Nanjiani, Annie Murphy, Sharon Stone, and Ken Jeong. And how each of them kind of like play into it is is a big part of whether an episode, I think, works or doesn't work, and how kind of game or not game or how much the show is like putting on them to kind of plays into some of this stuff. So, and I think some of them are better able to like roll with the formula and some don't. And I think that probably is, is recognizable. Like you walk into a certain type of show and it's like, well, this didn't, this didn't work because uh, it didn't click with me. And like, you forced me into a bunch of stuff that I didn't want to do. And having some more free flowing might've been, been better and let people like Blake said, like kind of LARPing a little bit more and letting them roll with the, the role that they are in rather than kind of forcing them into these, these specific scenarios. I, almost have to ask like did the casting director just take who they could get or did they screen (laughs) anyone right because because, some of these people seem 
miserable to be there. Kumail Nanjani, who I like normally, I find him unwatchable in his episode. He spends the entire time just adamantly refusing to go along with the jokes, just resisting so violently any attempt to kind of make him have fun with this format. So I think with Kumail, there's something that actually stood out where they keep trying to draw out like a specific piece of information about him, like a high school crush or girlfriend or something, which actually I felt like you run into that. Maybe it's just LA shows too, where you run into this, where it's like, they're always like asking you some deeply like personal question to like drag information out of you. And sometimes that's you New York like, shows too. That yeah. is all of these shows. <laughs> and you just don't want to give it up. And it was kind of like, that's what he was doing. Like, he was like, I don't want to talk about this. Please stop asking me about it. Whereas like Marshawn Lynch really wanted to play, but was not that good at actually being a detective. And so I'm not sure he was having the best time, but it was really entertaining to watch. And there were definitely moments in the Sharon Stone episode where I was like, ooh, this is this is uncomfortable. It seems like maybe she's warming up to the scenario, but I don't know if I actually enjoy watching this. So there's like two levels of this, right? There's the participant experience, and then there's the experience that's more designed for the enjoyment of the audience at home, right? See, it, it's funny you say that because I think a lot of my enjoyment boiled down to whether it felt like whether they were performing or whether they were playing. I thought that Marshawn Lynch, Annie Murphy, and Sharon Stone, and Ken Jong, all fabulous players of the game. Not necessarily great at the game. Uh, as you said, Marshawn Lynch is a terrible detective, but it <laughs> felt like they came in with their characters, their vibes, willing to LARP. Uh, Ken Jong is cracking up at everything, but he's just committed. But Conan O'Brien and Kumail Nanjiani both felt like they were really treating this like it was just a show. Like, almost like they were kind of irritated that they didn't have the script and that they were just trying to keep up with the tempo of the show. As opposed to treating this as a mystery that they were supposed to solve and a game being presented to them. I think there's almost a difference because I almost felt like Conan was was too good at it too. Like he knew how to like kind of play and I felt like he was maybe playing in a different way than some of the other participants. And it's like someone who's like been through a show a bunch of times and like knows how to like mm -hmm. react and, and spin the scenarios to his own kind of thing. Because there's somewhere he like, I think the bit where he's talking to the, the little girl about Death? Or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> like, is the magician gonna finish the trick? And then Conan is trying to explain death to a yeah. small child. And he just like leans so far into it that it like it worked for me, but it's also like it seems like he's such like a pro at maybe improving and and wacky it's, it's shit the, like this. It's, it's it, the late night vibe, right? Yeah. Like you don't know what your guest is gonna say, so you have to banter and make interesting conversation regardless. It's exactly for me, though, I don't want that in my in my weird LARP murder mystery. I would rather have someone like Marshawn Lynch getting increasingly frustrated at his inability to solve mysteries, <laughs> or Ken Jong just being like, "This is wild. I'm here for it." Um, Conan, I I think really kind of is interesting, especially because his episode is the first of the season, though, in that he he really. He is a good enough improviser 
that it just feels like a kind of silly, kind of underbaked scripted show, mm. as opposed to a fully baked, half improvised show. Yeah, I think that's I think that's fair, and I think someone we we had some discussion about this before, and I think someone noted the the hot sauce scene, and maybe that's one to kind of talk about with Conan too. I think Catherine, you were you were going to bring that up. Yeah, so. It's funny because when we talk about immersive theater, interactive theater, role-playing, we talk about what is a good response, right? So if an audience member says something expected, a, like a, a sharp actor will lean into it and potentially try to redirect their attention back onto the happy path. Or like someone who's really good at running a Dungeons & Dragons game is going to lean into what the players are suggesting. And there's a lot of yes-anding. And... From what Will Arnett is constantly trying to do, it's the opposite of Yes Stand. So I don't I don't know what if you can describe it better than I can, but he's trying to almost mess with everyone. And he did this in a scene with Conan O'Brien where Conan is supposed to be interrogating a suspect and they're in a restaurant and Conan is eating and Will keeps pouring hot sauce on Conan's food. But he just I... keeps eating it too, right? He just like commits to the the weird bit of eating this like hot sauce food. That was the one bit of the Conan episode that worked for me. I am going to defend that bit in that I think Will Arnett is trying to stir the pot. I think that that was the element of chaos that that episode needed. You mentioned yes ending. You know, there was that kind of staunch refusal to offer personal information in the Kumail Nanjani episode, but he also very much refused to play the game. In every episode, when they do their undercover bit, uh, Will Arnett gives them a really doofy, you know, code name. Think like the Bart Simpson prank call gags. You know, it's me, Ivana Hug and Kiss, or whatever. And all of them go along with it beautifully. Marshawn Lynch basically suggests his own in his episode at the very <laughs> beginning. Except Kumail Nanjani, who just goes like, no, I'm not going to be called that. There's a real weird rhythm to the whole yes and of the show. And I think kind of what, what Catherine's talking about where the show is like steering. Annie Murphy's episode feels like one where the show takes too firm a grip on the wheel and like she's trying to do stuff and it keeps um i think specifically of the scene in like the the french bakery or whatever and she's like they're making like stir the pot and like stick her hand in it while she's trying to like i think probably do something she, actually like solve she's the trying mystery to, while also like making macarons <laughs> yes 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 <laughs> it's it's like the keep talking and no one explodes of an interrogation it's just this awful stressful multitasking they're putting her through but that said, some of the more delightful parts of that episode are around when she's being sent in undercover, has to play a man, <laughs> and is speaking to some mafioso bosses, and has to keep going with the bit. And you can tell she's trying really hard not to laugh. And so as a piece of theater, it's, you know, whatever. But as a viewer, it is hilarious because they're playing into, you know, these Sopranos type stereotypes. You know, it's funny. I, I know, I forget which one of you asked me earlier, something about what are the immersive viewer archetypes each of these celebs are kind of embodying. 
And as, you know, a regular immersive theater goer, I very much felt that. Conan gives very much the vibes of a gunner, someone who is going to get every one-on-one, who has seen the show a dozen times and is here as a completionist. But Annie Murphy and Sharon, Annie Murphy strikes me as someone who's like your ideal audience member, someone who's just game for anything, great to go along. And then the wild cards that just cracked me up the most were Marshawn Lynch and Sharon Stone, who both came in with like broad character concepts and were here kind of LARPing. Like they had made their own character sheet at home and they're like, this is how I'm going to play it. Exactly. And Sharon Stone's weird, like aggressive buddy cop routine she started. Beautiful. I could have watched like many episodes of that. Her as the German doctor trying to (laughs) stitch up the patient and just being like, yes, this is what I'm doing. Commit, commit, commit. Meanwhile, there's blood everywhere. And I'm like, oh, God. I, and I think Marshawn Lynch kind of falls into that that category of like someone who maybe hasn't heard of immersive theater, but like ends up in a show and is like, oh shit, this is the coolest thing and just kind of like rolls with it in a very bizarre way. I think his episode is a lot of fun because he, he he's not like as polished as everyone else, but he's, to me, it didn't seem like he was having fun with it um, and kind of like the scenarios and the weird, like his character that he was like, I want to be this. And well, it's just like, oh, okay. Even though he's not very sly yeah. about like, I think this person and obviously the suspect is listening because they're two feet away and says, I can hear you. Okay. So insane question and tangent for a moment. Have any of you heard the story about Usher going to sleep no more? No, not Usher. (laughs) I think it was Usher. Um, It was Usher or an Usher type. I don't remember. Blake, no. are you stereotyping the celebrities that go to sleep no more? I don't know anyone who possibly hid in a coat closet so they wouldn't be uh, seen by other people before getting their mask. Oh, no, no. This was someone who went to sleep no more and famously did not get it and spent the whole evening having an amazing time pretending to be a spy, like ducking around corners, uh-huh. striking karate poses. And... It very much, there were a few celebrities here. Um, Again, I'm going to kind of go to Marshawn Lynch and Sharon Stone, who just felt like, yep, they are working on their own wavelength and they're just pushing through. Because Sharon Stone's episode is like, she, uh, she's like such like a character that she has like in mind and, and what she's going to do and how much like she's going to let Will Arnett like get away with stuff is he's like coming at her and her pushback is is fun but it is like you said it's like she like has this idea of like what she wants to do in that show and she's just going to stick to it yeah it was pretty obvious to me the the friction and luckily Will Arnett is wonderful and lovely and is essentially you know reacting to whatever this participant is saying or doing um I don't know if it would work necessarily without him, right? But it's so funny because we we just spent the whole first half of this discussion talking about how formulaic the show is. And then the tone and the quality is so wildly inconsistent despite this formula that certain episodes are kind of 
either delightfully or uncomfortably, depending on your opinion, abrasive and aggressive and filled with friction. And then other episodes, like the Ken Jong one, everyone's getting along swimmingly, it's buddy-buddy, everyone's having a wonderful time. And then, you know, you you get to something like Annie Murphy, where it feels like she's so game, but she's just getting increasingly uncomfortable and irritated with the fact that they keep interrupting her, the fact that they gave her like this really irritating, you know, Will Arnett hits on her plot line that I just didn't need. And you could tell she was just not into even from like a comedic play perspective. Yeah. I think Sharon Stone gets some of that too. Like, but she plays it off much like better at the beginning of the show. And it's like, I'm just going to push back against that idea. And we're not going to, basically she's like, we're not no, going to go you. there. No, thank you. Uh, uh-uh. I'm not playing. I'm not doing that today. Whereas Annie Murphy is still trying to say yes to everything while trying to, you know, uh, uh, stir some soup with her bare hands because <laughs> someone has thrown away the ladle as she questions a suspect. I, you you almost wonder there's also you know we we've talked a little bit about gender i guess but i also wonder if there's kind of an age thing going on i feel like the episodes with the older actors are much more comfortable in that they seem more willing to set boundaries that i think one of the crucial differences between this and immersive theater is that the boundaries aren't defined at the get-go. Will Arnett is constantly adjusting how far he's willing to push them based on what energy he's getting back. And I think with people willing to kind of establish what they want in a clear but also entertaining and productive way, that works great. But then with some of kind of the two younger players, I guess, Kumail Nanjani and Annie Murphy, those both ran into some friction for me because I feel like Kumail maybe didn't have the grace to set the boundaries he wanted without just giving a no and shutting down the whole improv. And Annie Murphy just kept giving yes and just kept getting more visibly uncomfortable. And I think maybe the Camille thing is because I feel like maybe that's sometimes true of the way like I approach a show too, and it's like I don't. Sometimes you you think the show is going to take you for a ride, and you have to kind of play with it in a way and and establish those boundaries and figure out how to like play within the show, and maybe just kind of never clicked in a way that that worked. I know we've been we've been kind of like slamming his episode a little bit, but I think he the sequence where he has to do that walk or whatever, and Will Arnett can just not keep it together is one of the funnier things in the show for me, just because. Willard is trying so hard to not like laugh behind his his hand as Camille does this like absurd fucking walk that I I felt that was like one of the best parts of Camille's episode. So I I gotta ask because we do keep kind of circling around this idea of immersive prodding for more information for than you might be comfortable giving and comfort and immersive. What is everyone's thoughts on that broadly here? That, you know, I'm going to take you into a broom closet and I'm going to go, hello, everyone. When was the last time, you know, you cried? Um, I was I was over that like three or four years ago. <laughs> like happens in like <laughs> two shows and it's like, why are we why are we doing this? And 
it seemed like in LA for a period, like literally every show was like relying on that to some degree. It was like, this is not, it's, it's interesting the first time it happens, second time, then it's kind of like, why, like, is this every show? Like, it's just an easy like button to push. So it drives me crazy now because it's like, I don't find a new way to like make me uncomfortable instead of just asking me really personal questions. And I don't want to be doing the emotional lifting of a show. Yeah. You know, if, if you're trying to make me feel sad, do something to make me feel yeah. sad. Don't say, think about a time you were sad. <laughs> Tell me about it. Cry. I think we need like, a set of stock answers that will fulfill these requirements without actually making the like actor or performer happy. <laughs> right. Like we Wait. should just have that in our back pocket. I mean, at definitely at shows that have asked me for this kind of stuff. I've like, I don't have to tell you the truth. Perhaps I'm compelled to lie right now. Does it matter to you? What's like the purpose or goal here? And especially if it feels like it's coming out of nowhere and they haven't properly kind of, um, guided you to that emotional place or like added enough emotional scaffolding for you to feel like okay I understand why you're asking me this because this question has a purpose at this specific moment in time right uh, I 100% get that and forgive me I had to open a door the cat was meowing quite loudly <laughs> because it wanted to come into the room yeah yeah calm down baby you're going to be fine. So I have a question for the two of you. As you were watching, were you trying to actually solve the mystery? And if so, did you get it? A hundred percent. And I got it like four out of six times. I think it wasn't like trying to actively, actively solve it. But it was trying to like pay attention. And I think some of them are more obvious than others. And some of them rely on some like insanely small details that most people would not recognize as a clue which was weird for a mystery mystery yeah. show where they're asking these people <laughs> in the in the space while they're taking in all this other stuff and like any murphy being forced to like do these absurd things to like suss these things out about the people or the spaces they're in that are completely not obvious in some cases right they, like there's a map in the background behind the interviewee at some point uh, the, one, one um, of the clues was like handedness like oh the murderer was left-handed but this person couldn't have been it because you watch them write something very quickly with their right hand for two seconds but you know they did prime them at least before they throw the clues at them they do very explicitly go like the four things you are looking for are w x y and z and the problem is that I feel like a lot of the celebrities sometimes laser focus on just two of those. I think one of the biggest laughs I got out of the show is they them asking Marshawn Lynch for his reasoning behind his pick and him just going, I'm all in on the black hoodie. <laughs> and I think maybe that goes back to the way the show doesn't roll with things because some of them come up like really elaborate reasoning behind their like, I found this clue and I found this clue and I found this clue and then the... the uh, Police commissioner's like, none of those were clues. And they're like, well, like, what? What are you talking about? <laughs> so Yeah. How would you prepare for that, though? Like, just make it so that you could somehow shoehorn every suspect at, into into the murder case, dependent upon what, like, Ken Jong said? So there is... I don't have proof of how they run Busted. But I think the way they run Busted, which is a similar show, a bunch of celebrities solve mysteries and have to do variety show style shenanigans between, I feel like they strike a really good balance. 
the mysteries still have definite solutions with clues and they can still fail to solve the mysteries. But if there is some sort of really good, wild, interesting plot that's better, they're willing to just run with it. And they are willing to loop stuff back in that emerges through natural gameplay. You know, we did kind of have this arc mystery of who killed Will Arnett's partner throughout the whole show. And I was kind of hoping mean, they would breadcrumb tease it throughout every episode. <laughs> but no, it really just becomes... No, that's just Ken Jong's mystery. Everyone else, you know, <laughs> never touches on it despite the fact that it is this presence hanging over the show since episode one, where in a show like Busted, you know, as each character's foibles start to be revealed, those are recursively played to and written into the show and picked at and wild plot explanations are given for these behaviors. And it becomes this really fun game of ping pong between the writers and the improv team. Interesting, but also seems a lot more resource intensive to to make, right? So you would think, but that show alternates between looking like it costs a billion dollars and looking like it was filmed at someone's uncle's summer house. So I have literally no idea. I also have no idea how much this show cost because the sets are good. The costumes are decent enough and it's shot well and it has great guest stars. But by that same token... It also feels, you know, in an era where decent cameras are available to most people, it feels like they could have given each guest star $100,000 for a one-day shoot and shot this for, like, $2 million. And so with, with Busted, can you, can you go a little bit more into, like, the background of that one? I'm not super familiar with it. Sure you... thing. I, sorry, I just know I... No, no, no. I, I, I quickly it's... looked it up on... Wikipedia, and it seems really interesting, and I'm probably going to watch that, but I, I want to hear from you. <laughs> no worries. So this, I got into this through Michael Anderson of ARG Net uh, towards the start of the pandemic. Busted is a show where it is a team-based mystery show in which it is always the same six or so celebrity detectives who are all Korean C-list celebrities. It's a Korean TV show, and... They go on a different mystery adventure every episode in between, you know, the little interrogations and bits where they try to solve the mystery. They do little puzzles or escape rooms or variety show style physical challenges worked into the plot in order to obtain more clues. And they can and often do fail in their investigations, which is what really reminded me of Murderville. But the investigations are wildly all over the place. They have art heists. They have murders. They had an entire parody of Memento where one of the detectives woke up with no memory of why they are next to a dead body, next to a dead body, and notes from the night before as they try to figure out what went wrong. And Part of what makes the show so fun is that they do seem to film them in order. And so both episode to episode and season to season, the writers are looping in 
ideas that are pitched by the team and the team is reacting to the writers. And it does have that very collaborative D&D vibe that really strikes a balance between improvised and scripted. Mm. It is not a perfect show by any means. It has some weird, wild tonal inconsistencies and some, I am not sure if they are offensive because I am not, you know, that embroiled. (laughs) I am not there, but some suspect episodes where they seem to do like a moral of the week episode about trying to push for harsher parole restrictions in Korea. (laughs) But generally speaking, the episodes strike a really nice tone and they alternate between, you know, fun, crazy set pieces, usually in the season openings and season finales, they'll build them some pretty cool escape rooms that they have to fight through for clues but they also work in improvised interrogations, weird little puzzles, and oftentimes, even when they've solved the mystery, they work in a chase scene or an attempt to defuse a bomb or some bizarre little physical element where they can still fail the mystery even if they figure out all the clues. Nice. This seems a lot more elaborate and... um Forgive me if I didn't understand, but it's it's a team-based game, and it's the same team throughout the course of a season, right? Yes, it is definitely not the same show as Murderville, and I am not attempting to say it's exactly the same, no. I, I realize it is more elaborate and a little bit more consistent and persistent throughout the run of each season. And maybe to I, kind of connect it back to like some immersive theater, I think there's some shows that are more adaptable and may let you kind of like end up in a different ending versus somewhere it's like they're clearly for like you can answer these questions however you want but you're going to end up forced into kind of this one direction and i think we probably see that in in a lot of immersive stuff where it's kind of depending on the show it's going to force the audience to to go in one way or another whether they want to or not and may not realize it when the to draw into current events you know this this feels a lot more galactic star cruiser in structure oh blake Mm. you had to go there even though the three of us have not even been there it's been open to the public for like a day yo oh come on the structure spoilers are everywhere by now um but for the to your point though this show is one celebrity who probably had like a hole in their schedule, right? Like in between shooting TV and films, like Ken Jong could go and do this in like a couple of days, right? For sure, for sure. And I definitely understand that. At the same time, again, I don't know exactly the celebrities on this show. On Busted, I don't, I can't, you know, pin an exact level of celebrity. But they all feel like B to C listers. I was shocked they got Sharon Stone, Conan, Ken Jong, and Kumail Nanjani. Kumail Nanjani is so busy and huge right now, and he had time for this. And I feel like I don't know where it filmed, but if it filmed in LA, maybe it's like he was like you said, it's like he had a hole in his schedule. I was like, yeah, I can I can come do two days. He here was or just in a Marvel movie and he's doing this dopey little Netflix reality <laughs> show. A Marvel movie that he got extremely buff for and then that was all over the internet for a while. 
I I literally just googled Kumail Nanjani because I wanted to see if I could figure out what the hole in his schedule was, and literally every image on the Kumail Nanjani images, but one, is him like shirtless with a six pack, just like intensely Kumail. looking into the camera with like. <laughs> there was no how- reason for him to take his shirt off in Murderville, unfortunately. <laughs> I mean. You know, he could have had some sort of flex off with the jock character. I don't know. That was the, like, high school murder mystery episode. Classic. Oh, I spilled something on your shirt, man. You gotta change. (laughs) God. Oh, so I don't regret my time with Murderville, I guess, is the main summary thing I want to give here. I I had a really good time. It's fun. You don't have to think too hard. It's short, which is also very good. Yeah, it's short. It's six episodes. Like, it's pretty easy. Just like, you can watch like one a night or you can tear through the whole show in like a whole night. But it's like, it's it's nice and like accessible versus like some of these like serialized things where like, I need to watch 10 episodes before it gets good. And then, then I'm invested in the next like three seasons and all that shit. So. And I don't know, there's not that many shows where, as you're watching it, if you want, you can try to solve the puzzle before the characters yeah. on screen do, right? Like, that is still pretty much a rarity, at least um, on in, in U.S. television. Ever since the death of Murder, she wrote, really a great loss. <laughs> so, I don't, I didn't watch enough of it. Um, do either of you familiar with what Murder in Small Town X, which was like... I love murder in okay. small town x maybe we should I'm do like a episode about that later if we can find somewhere to stream it and, and watch I, it I, you can probably find it on some sort of janky pirate site or in horrible quality on youtube but i i have not been that for like we encourage piracy here on the no proscenium review crew podcast absolutely <clears throat> not i am just saying that come on producers please give us a legitimate sc- streaming source for murder in small town yeah. x Catherine, that is it's like a cross between this and Busted in that it's a Twin Peaks style murder mystery in which every week one of the detectives, aka contestants, is murdered as they fail to solve the crime until only a few detectives are left. And the winner, if I'm remembering it correctly, is who best presents a theory of the crime. Yeah, I'm not even sure I watched the whole thing. I like I started watching it at some point. It was like, very, it was, I mean, this is almost... This came out 21 years ago. <laughs> I want to feel ancient. Like, um, but yeah, I think it was, it's a, this is maybe even like something very immersive as these people are just jammed into this, this murder mystery and have to solve it over the course of a whole season. I mean, there's also shows like, um, to kind of come at that idea of solve it at home from a different angle, there's shows like The Mole that used to air, oh, in God, which the, the audience had favorite. to try to figure out, along with the contestants, who The Mole was. Uh, at some point i've been talking about the mole to my wife for a long time but it wasn't like streaming anywhere so she eventually bought me the dvds we watched it together because she'd never seen it and it's it still holds up it's such a good reality show it's the best reality show it's the one i want to go on it's oh (laughs) okay anderson cooper take me to europe to solve mysteries please Catherine, you don't have feelings. I don't. I don't know if that can be arranged. No, not really. If I ever come across a time machine, though, I know exactly what Blake wants. Please. Yep. If anyone out there has a time machine, please help make Blake's dream a reality. Oh, oh, come on! Either that, or produce some like really good 
tour of Belle Epoque Paris immersive evening thing. I'll I'll settle for that. That or the malt. That, that's all we're using the, the time machine for. <laughs> now I just want to talk about the mole and murder and mouth and eggs, but maybe we'll 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 save that for something else. Well, we I, I do want to ask so long as we're talking murder yeah, yeah. in small town X. Why don't we talk about a, a another place where murder happens? That place being Successville, aka Murder in Successville, which this show was based off of. Did any of you get a chance to watch much Murder mm. in Successville? Not really. I did not. Our our uh, UK from the our UK British correspondent was not, not able to make it today. He was gonna, uh, he was going to tell us about that. I am I am sad to say I myself did not get to watch much either, but from what I was reading about it, I really do like that they have other celebrities as the suspects, which just crack the celebrity detectives up even more. When they're playing like famous like other celebrities too, right? Like they I'm... have both celebrities playing other characters and good celebrity impersonators playing those celebrities or playing those celebrities as other characters uh ed was telling us about some famous episode in which they got someone impersonating obama to then play like the town's doctor with a dark secret i think you just broke my brain with that (laughs) i guess i i guess i just want more wacky high concept television in general I think that immersive theater thrives when it, and I don't mean this in a like, oh my God, we should be waterboarding our audiences way. So please don't take it that way because I know there is a certain sector of the immersive world that will, but I think immersive theater thrives when it does push weird envelopes. And I think that TV can take that from immersive theater that we should be asking ourselves like, well, what does a game show look like? Because this is basically a game show where there are no prizes. The whole purpose is to antagonize, and it usually is funnier if there's a loss. But what can it look like to display an experience? And I, I think, think this... Oh, Catherine, oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, Blake, no, the prize is humiliation. Oh, True. And and we are the winners. Here, here. <laughs> Sorry, Kevin. No, no. I was gonna say. I think this like this does provide like an interesting kind of baseline for people that might not be familiar with this as like immersive theater adjacent type thing in terms of like kind of the scenarios and things they can like force people to into where they don't know what's going on. And I think it's it's maybe formulaic to its to it, its detriment, but I think some of the stuff works. And I think there's like playing along with a mystery element from home is fun even if the clues are not kind of like obvious enough to um, to kind of get into it. And then, um, so I was kind of wondering like, is there anything we can take away from, from the other direction, like into immersive theater? Because I think, like we said, like some of these other shows, they try to push your buttons in specific ways. These ones force the, the celebrities into kind of very like wacky scenarios where you have to like pretend to be someone else in a really silly disguise and like, the the other characters like stick to it so firmly that it's like no one's like Annie Murphy is clearly like a woman wearing a fake mustache, but they like kind of do interesting things like that. Is there anything we can like maybe go the other direction? Like what immersive theater can learn from the show, if anything. I I definitely think there are a few takeaways. 
And I think one is adopting a play-to-lose attitude like the kind you find in LARP. I think that a lot of times, especially with, I almost want to say, mission-based immersive, too much emphasis is put on end states as opposed to the adventures that the pursuit of those end states creates. I I want to kind of point to two successes here, which I bring up. Uh, one I bring up a lot, Obaken, uh, that escaping from a murderer virtual Zoom-based escape room that was next to impossible, but the potential of victory ratcheted up the horror that even if these clues aren't, you know, the most perceivable, they definitely work. And then one I just came out of, I really dug the hell out of the fleecing. Uh, the annual Almanac uh, Circus Dance Theater uh, fundraiser in which it is a competitive cult initiation. And while I happened to be fairly successful up until losing in the very end in a competition I didn't even realize was going on until I had almost won it. The the competitive framework is just an engine of humor in that show. Kind of how the mystery framework is just an engine of humor in Murderville. These are pretty dopey mysteries. They, They follow a very, you know... Three suspects, simple clues, directly told to you format, at least from the audience's perspective. But it is an engine for the show's central pleasure, which is that kind of heart of humor in it. And I think we should maybe focus more on experience through goals as opposed to goals as something to push an audience to reach. And I think to that point, I think like you're saying, these are very much scenarios that force the the celebrity to to play, right? Like you have to play to find out the information. So maybe that is something that like shows can, could use more of where they kind of, here's a scenario, like you need to get this kind of by the end of it, maybe, but how you get there and like what you're forced to do inside of it is, is going to be something that you need to engage with and you can choose to or like, dive in fully or not and really play in the, in the space, whether you're kind of a little bit more on the introverted side or the extroverted side, but I think to, to open that up to people. Yeah, definitely. It reminds me of in a good escape room, each person has a different time to shine. You might have an insight or solve something that I not, might not be able to just because your brain's wired differently. And for someone like Marshawn Lynch, like I really actually wanted him to get it right. So how can you lean into that and almost like, you know, you want everyone to have a good time. You actually want them to solve the puzzles. So let's think about how that does affect the participant experience, as Blake mentioned. For sure. And then does anyone have any kind of like final, final thoughts on this before we, we wrap it up for the day? I guess I have just one final thought. And that is that if there is someone in no shade to, Kansas and Ohio, but Kansas or Ohio, who does not have a rich, vibrant, immersive theater scene around them that I know of, and they watch this show and they go, 
my God, this looks so much fun. I wish that I was Annie Murphy right now because I want to play this game. This looks like a hoot and a half. I really think that shows like this can be an important ingredient in continuing to develop the audience for immersive theater and an understanding of immersive theater. You know, Westworld is all well and good, but more shows look like Murderville than look like Westworld. And I think that a lot of people are happy and more than willing to pay to play their own version of Murderville. And I think maybe people are more likely. I don't. Murderville seems like goofy fun, and that's probably what people are more likely to tap into than a serious murder, sex, weirdness, robot simulator type thing. Not that a show like that actually exists, <laughs> but like the uh, the depth of oh my like. God, I, see, I I just want to go to the immersive theater show simulating the immersive theater show simulating <laughs> the old west weird sex murder robot thing. But Blake, so, what if meta, that turns out? Yeah, that's just VR. It's all actually in VR. Actually, Catherine, I I hate to reveal it to you. Uh, No proscenium up until this point has all been one long Odyssey Works project designed. Wait, are you saying no pro is a simulation? Oh, my God. (laughs) I think I think that might be it for this week's review. crew. That's it. Uh, Thanks, everyone, for listening. Um, uh, Thanks for listening to our loopiest episode in a long time. It was fun, though. Um, all right. So as as always, as we wrap up for the week, No Persinium is a labor of love. Everyone on staff who you hear on the podcast and read on the site, like us, are volunteers. You can support this work by donating to the No Persinium Patreon. Even $2 or $5 a month can help. And if you're enjoying Review Crew or the regular No Persinium podcast, you can also support us by leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. Thank you. And signing off for the crew, I'm Kevin Gossett. Thanks.